Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz bassist and composer Chris Lightcap. He talked to us at length about his latest 2018 CD called Super Ed on the Royal Potato Family Label. He was born and raised in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, a very small town, and played violin and piano before picking up the electric bass at 14. As a senior in high school, he started to study the upright bass, and it stuck. Over the years, he's worked with the likes of Regina Carter, Craig Taborn, Mark Turner, Jason Moran, and so many others. Learning a great deal of things along the way from Legends and Luminaries. So, get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Okay, Chris. Hey, man. Thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I love the Royal Potato Family label, and I'm a big fan of this album, Supret. Talk to me about this album. It's, it, it's, you know, there's jazz elements, but there's so much more going on with your music. Talk to me about the approach to this album. Well, I put the band together probably, uh, well, the, the first gigs we did actually were around 2013, and I had the idea for the band probably several years before that. I just had this idea that I wanted to do an electric band because I've been playing a lot of electric bass, but not getting a lot of consistent places to play it. And I love, I've always loved the guitar, and I've loved lots of different music that features the guitar, not just rock and roll, but of course jazz, folk music, um, African music, West African music, traditional Spanish music, and on down the line. So I, I wanted to do something, I have all these great guitar players that I work with, and I want to do something that would feature the sound of the guitar. And the idea of having two guitars, uh, I've always had this feeling that if you have one guitar, it sounds great, but if you have two guitars, it almost has a multiplicative effect, yeah. and they have the, uh, there's something about the way that the overtones combine and has this almost special quality to it, and I wanted to explore that, that, that sound space. The first time we got together, I hadn't really done a lot of writing, I just had a couple of covers that I had arranged for us to play, and the writing process grew out of that. And I just really love the sound. I love the experience of playing music with these guys. They're all old friends of mine, people that I wanted to work with together that we hadn't really ever played together as a, as a group. And I love the animation. And it was a kind of a similar approach to my other band, Big Mouth, that I'd already been working with for several years. I love the sound, and the sound inspired me to do more writing, and it just continued to evolve. You grew up in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, started out on the violin, then discovered the bass, studied with, with, with some great mentors. Talk to me about your childhood and how not only you got into jazz, but what music were you listening to that got you going? Latrobe is a very small steel town in the north east of Pittsburgh. Not a whole lot of live music in Latrobe, but in the surrounding area, especially Pittsburgh, there's a very vibrant musical community, and my parents were really avid music listeners, mostly the classical music growing up. They used to take us into um, the Pittsburgh Symphony a lot. We didn't hear a lot of jazz around the house, but my dad had a bunch of jazz records in his collection. But the first music that I remember hearing in the house was, you know, obviously pop music of the day and lots and lots of classical music. And um, when my when my school started an orchestra program. My mom asked me if I wanted to play violin when I was nine, and I said, sure. I'd, I'd played piano maybe a year before that, but I didn't really engage with the instrument, and I ended up quitting. And violin, for some reason, I connected to, and I just think that I've always had sort of a connection with string instruments. When I was a little kid, I used to play on my mom's old ukulele, and I used to mess around on it a lot at my grandmother's house when I'd go to visit her. 
incidentally, around that time was when I started really getting into listening to music on my own. But the music I was listening to on my own that I was engaging with was mostly rock music. And so I had this interesting parallel path where I was studying violin in a classical setting, in a somewhat formal setting, eventually leading to playing in a youth symphony in the area, and listening to tons and tons of rock and roll music that my friends and I were into. Bands like the he mostly classic bands at that time. It was in the early eighties, so these were the classic bands this time. Bands like the Who. Bands that everybody liked. Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix. So by the time I was fourteen, he just sort of sensed that I wanted to take a little more of an active role in the music I was playing but and had it kind of reflect music that I listened to, music I was passionate about. So I decided to start playing bass guitar I just had a based on the bands that I was listening to bands like The Who and, and Yes and, and other groups the, the bass was really heavily featured I developed a connection to that sound and coincidentally a lot of my friends at the time at this point I was a ninth grade played guitar it seemed like the best instrument to play if I wanted to be in a rock band everyone wanted a bass player meaning a four string like violin and I figured I could sort of start teaching myself something, not having any real idea what it entails to be playing bass. And I just uh, started getting together with my friends and and um, playing people's basements and garages, and I, we had no idea what we were doing, but we were having so much fun and learning about music together. And it was the first time that I was kind of engaging with music and choosing what to play, choosing repertoire, instead of having a teacher say, okay, sit down and learn this sonata or whatever. And... Um, so that was how my interest in playing bass began. And then the upright bass came a couple of years later. I started getting more and more into classical jazz and then also classical music. The double bass made perfect sense. I mean, that became my main focus after that. But I always kept playing bass guitar sort of in the background, on the side, on the back burner. And yeah, around 2000, after I'd been living in New York City for about seven years, um, and started working and, and developing a career as a jam musician. I started getting back into playing bass guitar a little more like an artist, playing different projects, playing different singer-songwriters, more experimental kind of things, experimenting with different sounds and approaches, and kind of just doing that as a sort of a parallel of what I was doing on the at that point. Cool. So what did you learn from folks like Milt Hinton and Bill Dixon at such a young, impressionable age to be learning an instrument? Oh, yeah, that was when I was in college. Uh, well, Milt was just an incredible presence <laughs> and life force. And just getting to be around him was, it was sort of electric. He was, had so much energy. He was 80 years old at the time that I met him and studied with him and just exuded love and joy and love of music and joy for playing music. And he was incredibly generous with his time and in telling stories and with his knowledge. And at that point, I think he was the most recorded musician in history, um, wow. having played with Cab Calloway and then been the house basis for CBS Records. So, God knows how many years, 20 years or something like that. And that, was, and that wow. book that he had done, the photographs had just come out. Yeah. So, that was just an incredible direct line to the source. <laughs> of jazz bass playing. I mean, he's basically one of the inventors of the walking bass line as we know it. Yeah. You know, he predated Jimmy Blanton <laughs> in terms <laughs> of his career. So that was 
that was just a gift. And Phil Dixon was that was that was when I was a junior in in uh, college that I studied with Milt. And then Bill Dixon was sort of the end of my college career, and I went up to Bennington to take a class with him, an ensemble class with him. And that was also a gift and, and very different uh, in, a, in a more academic context. Um, a, a class meeting regularly, and I learned a great deal. I was just starting to get into free improvising at the time. I studied with Ed Blackwell and um, gotten to do some workshops with Milford Grays, and I got to uh, check out Bill's approach, which was much more about pure sound, using pure sonic concepts in improvising, not necessarily focusing on melody and rhythm all the time, but just investigating sound as a thing. And that was very influential for me. That's something that I still draw from in my approach to music now. Because I think you know, sound is everything. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Not, nothing music uh, rhythmically, melodically, harmonically works without the sound being together. So, yeah. Um, so that had a big impact on me. You know, the one person that you spent a lot of time with and probably learned quite a bit from was Regina Carter, and I saw her a few years ago in Kansas City playing at our mm -hmm. festival, and she was phenomenal. And I, I, I just imagine being around someone like that, you had to have learned quite a bit. Of course about music and just how to live my life as a human being. I think she's a she's someone that, that really I really have a huge amount of respect for how she conducts herself in life and she's also a very generous soul and in, in terms of her, her time and and her um just her, her, her just the kind of, of engage the way she engages with you and connects with people. And um she taught me a lot about just how to conduct myself on the road and on the bandstand and um, how to, you know, live my life. And, and I did a lot of growing up in her band because I started working with her when I was still in my late 20s. And now this is like 18 years later. <laughs> you can see the math and I'm still playing with her. So, and, and there's, there's a reason why I'm still playing with her. I, I, I just love working with her. She's one of the most naturally gifted musicians I think I've ever played with. And uh, just has a very warm, uh, generous spirit and it comes through her music very, very clearly. So over your career, you've been on over 70 albums, four plus originals of your own. You're always pushing the envelope. You're always evolving into another level and chapter of your career. What is, what, what's been the key to your longevity? And, and along with all these albums, you played with so many people. I mean, Regina's just one of many luminaries and, and, you know, Cecil Taylor, Big Band. There's been so much that you've done. What keeps you going? What makes you evolve and stay on top of what you do all the time? I just love to play. I love to play with other musicians. I love to engage with people. There's so many musicians that I just adore as people and as players, and I it's addictive, you know, getting to getting a chance to to share and and communicate through sound with, with so many different people. It doesn't feel like any kind of labor of anything, you know. It's 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 uh it's it's something that's a that that I just is a joy for me. So it's like it's a no brainer. <laughs> No. Right on. I don't have to. I don't have to do anything to per keep persevering because I, I, I'm just so blessed to get to work with all these people. People like you know Craig Taborn and Nels Klein and, and Regina and um, Matt Wilson and a bunch of different bands that he leads and he's an incredible spirit as well. 
So it's not something that uh, it's not like punching a you know like oh how am I gonna keep it fresh or anything like that. It's it's just it naturally presents itself that way, and and I just I just feel lucky to be a part of it. So why do you love jazz? Why do I love jazz? Yeah, I mean I love. I love music in general. Um, jazz, for me, the thing about it that I, possibly a reason that, that I connected with that probably in a way that was deeper than any other type of music that I was um, connecting with before is that it kind of combines so much, so many different things about music in a very in a way that no other music does. It um, there's a level of of course, deep sophistication and harmonic sophistication, complexity, and there's also, at the same time, the greatest type of just pure joy and fun you could imagine in the music at the same time. And the obviously the thread that runs through the whole thing is the fact that everybody's improvising, and there's a sense of communal sharedness. There's no uh, hierarchy that I feel in the music, like... In classical music, there's a, which I love, I love classical music, but the, the whole hierarchy that exists in classical music where there's the composer and the conductor transmits the wishes of the composer to the ensemble. And that's not always true, obviously. There's a, there's chamber music, which is a lot more similar to a lot of small jazz, uh, small group jazz music. But there's this sort of, in, in jazz, there's the shared sense of everything. Everybody's sharing on the creative level. Everybody's sharing on the communal level. And it's very democratic. And, and I think that exists in, in, in other forms of music, but I don't think in any other kind of music that exists on that in, in such a complete, obvious way. And, it, and the other thing that I love about it is that it continues to evolve. It's never defined by one style or element. What's called jazz is constantly morphing into new things all the time. And jazz musicians throughout history have constantly been able to be inspired by other musicians and put it into their music, and it's very malleable. And um, obviously there's people who have their own idea of what jazz should and should not be. But I think that most of the time, the, the prime progenitors of the music have always kind of defied that. What are you talking about? Someone like Miles or Mingus or Duke Ellington or Dizzy Gillespie or Charlie Parker, they've all defied, all the standard bearers have defied what it means to be a jazz musician. They've all been iconoclasts in their own way. And, um, yeah, so that's just a tiny tip of the iceberg of what I love about jazz. Right on. Let's get to the essence of you. Everyone has this interpretation or this version of you, your family, your friends, your colleagues. Anybody that you run into has their perception, but you know yourself best. Who do you think you are? I am just someone who feels very lucky to be alive. I'm not just a musician. I'm, I'm, I'm a father and a husband. I just, I love life's journey in general, and music is a very important part, but it's just one part of that. I, I enjoy learning new things. Um, I'm constantly, I enjoy listening to, uh, finding new music and new forms of communication all the time, and I try to be open to those things as much as possible. And I think the, the music that I do, that I like to play, the music that I write, whether it's my own bands or other things, I think it's somewhat of a reflection of that. When I first moved to New York, New York was a very different place in terms of the jazz scene, it was, you know, there was sort of like a bebop contingent 
when there was a free jazz contingent and there was the downtown theme, which is sort of eclectic, was centered around this place called the Knitting Factory. And um, there was the Latin music scene. And I had this, this sense that I could just go through New York and do all of it. And I just always wanted to do that. And it wasn't always easy to do that. And I don't know if I was able to succeed, but I've always had this sense that the music... What we call music is is so varied, and and it's something that I like to take it all in. I, I've never been someone who wanted to be hemmed in by one particular dogma or way of looking at things. That's a great way to wrap everything up, Chris. Thank you for getting back with me. Thank you for taking some time out for Neon Jazz to open about the new album and your life in music, man. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest jazz players in Pennsylvania, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Chris for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.